My goal with this class is that we go through every single concept in Kabbalah. And then later, when we start going into in-depth things, you have a background. So more than just the ideas we're going to talk about, and obviously the transformative ideas we're going to talk about, what's important for me that you get out of these hours is um, the, the concepts that we're going to talk about. So the first concept is the idea of mitzios or mitziot. Mitziot means entity. Something that exists is called a metziot. Okay? Another, the next concept is called mugdar. Mugdar means defined. So there are elements that are defined and elements that are not defined. What's the, uh, what's the Hebrew name of it? Mugdar. Mugdar. Yeah. Mugdar is defined. Defined. So, mitziut, entity, mugdar, defined. Ma shehu means, what is it? Ma she'eno zulato, what is it not? In order to know what is, you have to also know what isn't. And you're going to find that a lot throughout Kabbalah. Is entity, non-entity. Pure, impure. Good, not good. Then, there is Yidiat Hachiyuv, which means positive knowledge. Yidiat Hashlila, which is negative understanding. And then, we're going to get into etzem hanefesh, the absolute essence of the soul. Hashlila. Hashlila. The negative understanding. And then etzem hanefesh, the, the essence of the soul. Do you not want me to use the, the, the Kabbalistic terms, or you like the Kabbalistic terms? Oh, it's good. To, to, to go back and forth, right? Okay. Just for granted, I forgot my book today. <laughs> my notes. So. Back in school. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to pick a No, it's correct. Okay. So, <laughs> what, what we're going to talk about is two basic concepts. One concept is called habasha, which means enclothement, or we would say maybe better in English would be the word embodiment. And then the word lehalbish, which means to put on a garment. It's from the Hebrew word levush, garment. So there is the embodiment, the putting on of the garment, and then there is hafshota, which means abstraction, or to strip or remove the garment. So there's the putting... Hafshata? Hafshata. So there is the halbasha, which means literally the putting on of the garment, and the hafshata, which is a taking off of the garment. 
Now, under, the, understanding these terms could only begin by talking about what is defined. How do we define something? So, the, the first example could be maybe a simple statement, like... Um, It says in Kabbalah that every mitziot is mugdar. What's a mitziot? Is mugdar defined. defined. Every entity is defined. Every existence, every entity, mugdar, from the word geder, which means fence, mugdar is defined. Defined in Kabbalah means boundaries. You can only define something if you create a fence around it, if you, can, if you can create a boundary around it, which means we define something in connection or in relation to something else. That's the, the definition of definition. That's why it's easier to say what's, what things are not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. For example, when the Torah talks about what kind of birds we're allowed to eat, the Torah doesn't talk about what birds we can eat, it talks about what birds we can't eat, because based on what we can't eat, you know everything else we can eat. So it's easier to... It's easier to define based on what isn't than what, what is. Mm-hmm. Last night, someone asked me a very powerful question about um, why is it that the, that the Torah often uses the negative instead of the positive. And the, the don't do, the, the negative is very simple. For example, you're going to like this in law. In law, the Torah says that not everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Everyone is guilty until proven innocent. Why? Because guilty is guilty. So when a judge rules, they should, he should rule based on the fact that both people are guilty. Because there's no way to say anything more than guilty. Once you're guilty, you're guilty. Now let's prove who's going to be the innocent and who's going to be the guilty. If, so everyone, gonna have a tough time if everyone is innocent, there's too many categories, there's too many gedarim, mm. there's too many fences you know how this and boundaries going. with regards to innocent. Well, maybe it's based on this perspective or based on this interpretation. Innocence is what we prove in the court of law. Guilty yes. is what by definition exists. This is very true. And first of all, it's, 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 it's actually the way it works because like anybody who doesn't know, like people who don't know the legal system think like innocent, first of all, they don't understand that whole concept, okay, of the presumption of innocence, is like something that we had to implement in like human rights laws. It took centuries, okay, to get to that point, and it's a law, and it's a, it's a foundation on which we can contest certain forms of abuse, okay? But good luck, like it's a long and tough battle to do that. But the way that the system, conceptually, because that's what's supposed to be, like it's supposed to be presumed innocent, but it's not. You're in court for a reason, right? Because you're accused. And what it, That's right, because you're accused, and if you're accused, what right. does it mean from a that's... police standpoint? I, I helped a friend this weekend, actually. You got those calls that you wish you would never call. You would never get when somebody's in, uh, in custody of the police, you know. And, um, and what is it? I spoke to the guy. I was, I was talking to the cop. The cop is like this, like, 
sec five guy, you know? So I'm like, oh, why you got Mike? You got guys like, like, who am I talking to here? Like, this guy going I think three sentences. Like, but it's, those are the cops, by the way. When you're when you're talking to them, when you have this this relationship with them, it's like, oh, they're in power. They've got the suit, whatever. When you're talking to them, you realize that they're like uh, not even like Sijat level people. Like, they're really, really basic, you know. And, but one thing he said, it's like, I can tell that it's their, their stupid little manual, you know, that like trains and stuff. And, and, but but, but it's, 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 it's right, actually, what it is, the accusation. So the accusation is based on what, from a legal perspective, what concept? Reasonable cause. Right. There's a reasonable cause for you to be here. And by the way, even in a civil or commercial dispute, you get sued, go to court, you can get a summary judgment. If there's zero reason why you should be there, it's called a summary judgment. It's very hard to get. There has to be zero evidence, zero, zero, zero. They say there has to be not even the sprinkle of a possibility that the other guy might win, okay? And if you have that, the case is, you're not gonna go to trial. It's, the case is gonna be thrown, you're gonna get your fees and so forth. But if that's not the case, if you're not in a summary judgment situation, then there's a reasonable cause. If there's a reasonable cause, you're presumed in a, in, in a practical sense, there's an issue that we need to discuss. You're guilty. Now, show me your innocence, right? It, right. You go back to what you just said. That's right. Yeah. So, so but, it's very true. It's very... But, but it's interesting how, you know, this idea of innocence till proven guilty, yeah. well, what are you doing here if you're innocent? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're not totally, absolutely innocent of everything. <laughs> there's, you did something. <laughs> I mean, that's why we also have the concept of abusive process, too. Yeah, if, it, if, if, if it was innocent till proven guilty, then... We need, we need a lot more judges and a lot more lawyers. Right. And so, and, and so, but just to finish off the piece of Talmud, and then it says the judge should view the people in front of them while he's judging as both guilty and then make the ruling. But once the ruling is made, he has to view them both as innocent. Because even the person who's guilty... The judge's job is now to see that they can do tshuva, that they can change. That's just a... Yeah. I digress. It must be hard to judge and to look... To, you have to judge others, but then judge others favorably. Right. Yeah, it's very hard to be a judge. I'm sure. According it, to the Torah's to uh, view of a judge... It's extremely difficult. Yeah. So, let's go back to these mugdar, these gdarim, these fences. Just as a fence sets the boundaries of a property... And it also limits and defines the property. So to every entity is limited to its description and definition. Part of living in this world, part of us being who we are in this world, is we must create a definition to everything. Now, that doesn't mean we have to label everything. We just have to define things. And often we define things based on what they're not, more than based on what they are. This has both a positive and a negative aspect. So, when I say this is a table, I'm saying two things. I'm saying this is a table and it's not a chair. So those would be the limitations and the definitions of my statement. That this is a table and not something else. If I called it something else, then it would be something else and not the other thing. So by calling it a table, we define it that this is what it is to the exclusion of everything else. That's why we define it as a table. We, we create much more negations than we do an affirmation. Act, absolutely. Right? When you say something is a table, it's absolutely. not a wall, it's not a... 
mean, no, but it's, but, but we exclude everything else from it by defining it. And if we didn't want to exclude everything else from it by defining it, then we wouldn't define it. And there are some things that we can't define. Actually, I'll go even a step further. There are some things that by defining them, we destroy them. That's how much we cannot define them. So the terminology for that in Kabbalah is that every mitziut is mugdar. Every entity is defined. Every entity is described with its limitations in two aspects. The two aspects are called bimashahu. What is bimashahu? What is it? What is it? And then, Masha'ino Zulato. What it is not. What isn't it? How is it different from the other item that you're comparing it to? So, this is the table. And how is the table different than the chair? Imagine there are two people. What are we going to call them? Like your book, Reuven and Shimon. Reuven and Shimon. So, Ruman and Shimon are identical in their character, in their behavior, in their intelligence. And now there's a third person that comes in. His name is Levi. Levi is Ruvain's friend, and he likes Ruvain very much. But he doesn't particularly like Shimon. So, for some reason, he tends to like and relate to Ruvain more than to Shimon. How do you think Ruvain comes to this determination? Just, just, just so I'm not losing track of who's who. There's uh, Shlomo and Ruvain there, the two there's, there's Ruvain and Shimon. So Ruvain and Shimon are the two. Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain likes Shimon, right? And he doesn't like, let's say, Levi. How does Reuven come to the determination that he likes this one and not that one? But we would think that it's because of things that are, there are. But in fact, like, I know it's not, but, like, we would think that yeah. we like certain person because, oh, they're like this and they're like this. But in fact, it's because they're not, like... It's, it's clear. We are attracted, more attracted to certain people than others. And it's almost like a, like, I think, like, there, there's, a, the, 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 there's a human aspect. There's, like, the immediate aspect. But there's also the aspect of, like, like in advance, before you even met that person... You have certain things in your head that you say, like, I like this. And then when you put that, you put that person there. It's like, oh, that person's going to go there. That person's going to go there. It's like, I don't like X, Y, Z, right? And then it's just about putting that person in that box. And then all of a sudden, you don't like that person. But you know nothing about them. Well, we do it every day. We stereotype people every single day, right? Yeah, I, I walk absolutely. down the street every single day and people stereotype people me. People project what they yeah. think of, the, you know, the religious, like, you're like Satmar to them. Especially, it's true. Yeah, his name is Israel and he's a Satmar. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> they should really meet some Satmar. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know this also when I was in law firms. People used to judge me all the time, and I was always, at some point I realized it's like it's a certain type of person judging me for these reasons. And I was always like, look, I'm not even taking it personally. And one of those lawyers that were one of those people that put me in a certain box. Uh, it was like it was like with him. It was like um, 
he was just saying, uh, he was like, I, I don't know how you could not take it personally. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I've seen this before. Like the middle manager like sees me as a threatening thing. Like it's like I've been there, done that. It's like, it's like. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they say first impression, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. First impression. Yeah. That's what it means. What does that mean? Well, what happened to everything else? So that means, so you already defined who I am and every interaction we're going to have from this day forward is based on the first interaction that we had. That's sad. What if I wasn't feeling well that day? <laughs> what if I... In interview, they judge someone in, in like less than two minutes. Yeah, exactly. We, I know everything I need to know about you. We yeah. know, we know from the dating world that first dates, no matter what, are always weird. Mm. There's no <laughs> way to unweirdify a first date. I always say to people that you never, if you, you, you never judge someone based on a first, a first date. You always try to. Mm. You never know what's going to happen the second time. Mm. And often the second time is when the person opens up. The first time everyone's on their best behavior and they're guarded and they're not. <laughs> and part of that guarded is also what is and what isn't. So if you're going to create a definition based on someone who's completely guarded on a first date, you're not going to get anywhere. But why do we think that we like certain things? Like, I like you. I like you because of this and this and this. Like, how is it in fact I, I like you because you're not, like, I it could feel be, like it, it could be that we like a particular person to the exclusion of every, every other thing, which means we like certain traits, we like certain characteristics. I mean, so those are definitions. Traits are definitions. Mm-hmm. Characteristics are definitions. Personality traits are, 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 are definitions. So... Beliefs, ideas, values, whatever. All these things are all definitions. Now, those definitions, irregardless of the person, let's say you had to make a list of definitions. Let's say, for example, someone's making a list of what they're looking for in a mate. So they may create a list of definitions. Mm-hmm. People do, by the way. Of course. They have a detailed list. Like I, I drop the list. Man. Well, Tell what them I, if, ask them if they live up to their own list. What I always, what I always say, what I always say is two know. things. Create the, the, list is for other create the list. Make sure it's realistic. You can't have it. And make sure that you are a complement to that list. A lot I think of, you have to live up to every item you put on a list for a mate. You have to at least live up to it. Just make sure. Or better it. You know, it's very interesting. When, when, you, when you take the list of the person you're looking for and the list of the person you are uh-huh. and what you bring to the relationship, you put them side by side exactly. and ask yourself, can these, these two people be in a relationship? That's right. The person you're looking for and the person you are. Yeah, that's right. Very often, it's, it's not possible. You're trying to buy a Porsche for $5. <laughs> no, no, but it's not even, it's not even you know, that kind yeah, of hierarchical level. It's a match also. It's just like, you know, there's... The, I mean, people are so unrealistic and, and they get stuck up on a particular look or mm. a particular uh, trait. And that's a definition but to the exclusion the of right all list. the other definitions. I think if it's the right list... You know, it's got to be the right list. It can't it has just to be, be about like a small external thing that you like because you saw somebody in a movie and you think you're attracted to that. And if somebody has that, you're going to... Well, you might end up going with the absolute wrong person just right. because they have that thing, right? A lot of people... Make sure you make the right list. A lot of people are in love with a fantasy. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And, right. and if that person doesn't live up to that fantasy or even worse than a fantasy... They never end up living real is life. Is in love with someone who they did date before or were in a relationship with before and everyone else has to live up to that person. But where is that person now? That's very true. Dead. No, not dead. But even if the, that person... You're not in a, rela- in a relationship yeah. with that person. So if everyone else has to live up to the person that you ended up not marrying... 
it's not just live up, also sometimes it's live down. Sometimes it's like you have a, a, a bad experience in the past and, and the new people have to, I mean, it's, you know, we call it baggage, but it's like people have baggage, you know, it's like, it's like you come into something and all of a sudden, just because that person had this and this and that behavior that you have to struggle again, and you're going to be predisposed to interpret anything that resembles that to that person. So you're still arguing with your former person. You're still arguing with them. It's like, make room for this relationship, you know? It's got its own dynamics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is exactly what the previous Rebbe talks about. He explains that the reason why this other person, we call him Levi, drifts more to Reuven than to Shimon, even though they outwardly seem exactly as like, is that deep down in the core and the essence of Levi's soul, there's an affinity to Reuven and not to Shimon. Which means there is, in Kabbalah, the idea of a deep soul connection. The only aspect of this that is perceived and recognized by the mind is that it's this person and not this person. The mind cannot define why it is that the attraction, the inner attraction is so strong for this person and not for this person. Does, does Levi really understand with his mind and heart what Shimon is? How Shimon is different than Ruvain? It's not possible. It's not possible for the mind and heart to truly grasp why this person is different than this person. The only thing that the mind and heart know is that they are two separate people. So what is he going to do as a result of that? He's going to describe their differences negatively. I like this one and not this one. So by saying, I like this one, even though it looks like it's a positive statement, it's really a negative statement because I like this one to the exclusion of this one. But if you asked him, now I want you to describe for me positively, why do you like this one? I understand you like this one or not this one, but why this one? In Kabbalah, we call this Yediat Hashlila. What does that mean? Negative understanding. The negative understanding. Yediat means the knowledge of shlila of the negative. The negative understanding. He doesn't have yediat hachiyuv, which is? So how do we take the yediat hashlila, the negative understands, and create a yediat hachiyuv, a positive understanding? How do we create that in our lives or differentiate that in our lives? Right now, at this point in our discussion, all he can say is that he feels it and for some reason he is attracted to this and not to this. So are we actually saying that the souls know who they're more favorably... At, at, at this point in our conversation, we're saying that there's something deeper there is a way of creating a positive understanding. We have no idea how to do it at this moment. But there is a way to do it. But all we can do at this moment is create a negative understanding. Mm. 
So I was gonna ask you your, your definition of negative understanding because because um, I go back to another concept that we used. I, I can look it up what it is, but basically the idea was that um, things that are tangible versus things that I understand, right? Right. It's like, it, is it only the things you understand that are tangible, or, or do you have at least the knowledge that there are tangible things? You know, and, and by the way, like certain things, like we know for a fact, but like people still don't give them that, that, that weight of, of being tangible. But we know, like, uh, any doctor, any construction worker, any uh, cafe person, I mean, people that are just outside of our immediate track will have tangible knowledge that we don't have. So well, we know it's there, right? We kind of know it's there. The, 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 there are certain absolutes that we create in our lives over time. And those absolutes are based on our education. They're based on our experiences. They're based on the fact that they haven't been disproven in our lives, so they become absolutes to us. This is a table, why is it a table? Because my first grade teacher told me this is what you call it. What is it really? Really it's a piece of plastic that's being held up by four pieces of metal, they're very small, and I can define, I can define the little round legs of the table, I can define the plastic, I don't know exactly how the plastic is made, but let's say I was knowledgeable of the plastic, I can define the process of which the plastic was made. So is this a table? No, it's not a table. It's plastic and metal. The metal is shaped a certain way. The plastic is shaped a certain way. The metal came from a certain source. The plastic came from a certain source. I'm telling you, you should use this in the following. Like, I'm telling you. So now, so now even furthermore, furthermore, we're, we're, furthermore, exactly. We are now saying, and now what are you going to do? You're going to put your book on this piece of plastic held up by four metal legs. And you're going to call it a table, a table you're going to use to study. That is a lot of, that's a lot of definition. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff with one word. <laughs> that's a lot of definition. Well, I don't want to. Maybe I want to put the book on my lap. That's right. But let me just ask you for negative understanding. So the, 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 would the definition be there is something there, but I don't know what it is? So, so the, the, there, there's, there's a source. There's a source. Right? This table wasn't built in aisle two. So there's a source to it, and there's a source to the source, and there's a source to the source, and hopefully there's a source to that. I don't know what it is. Am I gonna, every single time I put my book down on the table, am I gonna think about how plastic is made, and how metal is, is, is fashioned in the, well, in the it's factory? it's very interesting, because the actual definition of a table is a piece of furniture with a flat top with one or more legs, providing a level surface on which objects may place that can be used for purposes eating, writing, working, playing, games, excusing, exactly. to find all the things you can do with it. detailed definition. Yeah, what you can do with it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's cute, you know, but really is Yeah, it's, it's really, that's, that's a, the cultural significance that we've given the table. Well, there's a bunch of other tabling. So, yeah, yeah. so right now, if we all stopped at this moment. But is it this, is it that we accept that there is something tangible, going back to the tangibility versus existence, we accept that there is something tangible. But by defining it, we but, defined it to the exclusion of everything else. So it's a negative so, acceptance. So we, we refrain from defining it for now. So it's a negative saying, acceptance. Okay, it's a negative acceptance of something. But negative, not in the negative sense. Negative as in not. As in not. 
to the exclusion of everything else. So I cannot define it or I won't define it? We're not it. saying negative is bad. Exactly. Negative as to the exclusion yeah, yeah, of everything yeah. else. Negative, we have negative freedom and positive freedom also exactly. in, the, in the legal system. Yeah. Negative freedom is like the freedom against somebody else telling you what to do in a way that's, that violates your rights. Positive freedom is freedom to do what? Right. To completely Which defend. is still defined. Which uh, is not defined actually, because our society is officially agnostic about that. Completely nihilistic. In like freedom too, it doesn't you'd matter. Have to, you'd you like have to, to eat bananas. You'd I'd have like to, to believe in a higher power in order to define yeah. a positive freedom. Yeah, but I That's like right. to drive a car. We have to have a heritage of values. We have to have a lot of like values. To we like to pretend it doesn't exist. Well, it also, first of all, it's very easy. By the way, if we stop our conversation right now, yeah. it would be totally understandable. If we're now going to continue the conversation and understand the positive aspect of it, the moment we open up the positive understanding, we have to now, like you said, create a hierarchy of values. Yes. We have to create a whole new terminology. We've got, to, we've got to develop skin in the game. We don't like that. Right? It's very easy for me to be... Let's believe, okay, whatever. Why are you making it so complicated? Okay, fine. So it's a table to the exclusion of a chair. Okay, happy birthday. <laughs> and uh, let's move on. Why are you even bothering having this conversation? This seems like a futile conversation. But what Kabbalah is very interested in, and in its core is interested in, because if you can't understand the essence of the table, how do you expect to understand the essence of your soul? And how do you expect to understand the essence of God? <laughs> you, I, we, you, are you proposing that we're going to understand the essence of God? What I'm proposing is I that there's a piece of that God. We're know the essence of a table. There's a piece of God in this table. At least. <laughs> there's a piece of God in this table. We accept that. No, we're not just accepting it. We're now going to understand it. We're not okay just accepting it. Okay, if we were just negative understanding, we would accept it. Mm -hmm. And that was it. We'd move forward. But we're now going to go into a new dimension. And this is, I would say... Okay, can, can I just say something? Uh, 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 can I just give a little bit of extra credit to negative understanding before we go to positive? Absolutely. Because I really like negative understanding. I really, really like it. Because what happens with negative understanding, and I find people don't have enough of it. People have... A lot of people rush to the positive understanding and in doing so, create false images that they believe in, okay? So at least negative understanding in our refraining from defining, okay? At the very least, we are a little bit less likely to believe in false things, right? It's very important to balance it out. It's very, because you see, like, the table is this. That's a form of positive understanding, but it's a form of passive positive understanding. I'll say like this. We, we have a choice. We can view the world as from below to above, or we can view the world as above to below. Negative understanding is viewing the world from below to above, and positive understanding is viewing the world from above to below. So because we are so used to viewing the world from below to above, because we are limited being, we are defined, our world is defined by time and space, it seems more obvious or logical or close to us, to our definitions of understanding, to use negative understanding. Is, is, that, is that always true though? Because I could just as easily make the, argument, the following argument. And, and I understand what you're saying, and I, I agree with the, the scheme, but what I'm saying is that the average person grows up in society, okay? And we, we like to say they go from, from below to above, but the reality is they accept a lot of social definitions, this is a table, 
they accept a lot of that from above, not from above like in a godly sense, from above like in a society. Like in a first grade teacher sense. Like the first grade teacher sense, exactly. And that, that comes from above too, from their point of view. And people never question that. A lot of times they accept what's above, but what's above are creations by human beings. They're not, we're not talking so about, the, I'm not talking about the God. Your people. exact definition, yeah. that is a great way to understand negative understanding. That is what you're saying. That is all negative understanding. Because had they switched oh. the table around and, and asked the third grade teacher, oh, okay. well, so maybe I didn't understand the definition of negative understanding because to me it's like it's 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 something is there but I cannot or won't define it. That's that's what no, I. No, I haven't to. defined it. I haven't defined it. Or I no no negative. I've defined it. I've accepted the definition. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Without understanding the positive ramifications of the definition, which means if okay. the teacher said table T A B L E, and the student would say wait, that's four pieces of metal that are holding up a piece of plastic that can be used for da 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 So I've accepted the definition, but I haven't defined it myself. That's right. Okay, I get it. Okay, got it. Now imagine if the teacher would start off in grade one. Now grade one may not be able to process this. Look everyone, what do you see in front of you? You see four pieces of metal that are holding up a piece of plastic. Now, where did the metal come from? And let's go to the metal factory and see how the metal is formed. And let's go to the plastic factory, see how the plastic is formed. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually take four pieces of metal and we're going to take a piece of plastic and we're going to put it together now. Now we all put it together. What should we call this? What should we do with it? What should we yeah, do with it? Kids could they're going to go all over the place. What should we do with it? Exactly. They're going to say... Wow, let's put a blanket over it and make a tent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a terrible idea because you're going to fall and break your head. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> but. That makes time under it. No, that's. Oh, yeah, I'm saying. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. <laughs> so all of a sudden, and that's the point. And to a certain extent, Kabbalah would disagree with perhaps the way that we educate our kids today because we stifle them by calling it a table now and not only do we say, say keep your arms off the table keep your feet off the table why? what's the problem with the table? Mm. <laughs> it's not a table, it's a tent <laughs> it just doesn't have the blanket on it <laughs> but if you want to look at it from the sociological point of view the table is also a, an instrument of, of, of domination because like a table is also like you got the ruling class that tells you that using a table has to happen in a certain way and if you don't use a table that way you're going to be categorized as being part of this group of the population and if you're part of this group of the population then you know you you're, can, under, you're under eyes so it, it's, you can it's a, go a to a class on you know? etiquette what's that you can go to a class on etiquette do you know where, how etiquette was created it was created for the sole purpose of keeping people in line. Absolutely. Etiquette was it's created... An instrument of social exclusion and, and, and hierarchy. Absolutely. No, but it was... 100%. I, I think it was, was um, King of France who created that so that all the nobles that were in the palace had to address him in a certain way at a certain time, dressed a certain way, so he could, he could pull their strings yeah, all right. day long. Etiquette is an expression of power. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's really pretty. It's really pretty, of course. But... My daughter was asking me when she was setting the table, why I have to do it this way? And I said, I don't know, do it the way that you want to do it. And she also made it pretty in her own way. Yes. 
She put the, she put um she put all the the, 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 the silverware in a circle around the plate, <laughs> which may which may also work. She put a circle of, around, of silverware around the plate. Very pretty. What a good idea. What a pretty idea. So, again, we we are defining the boundaries to the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with her way of doing the the, the plate setup? It also looks pretty mm-hmm. in her own way. So now let's go on to the next step. I think we understand what, what we're missing. Now, what is it and how, we def- how do we define that which we're missing? So Kabbalah explains... So now we're in positive understanding. We're going to go into positive understanding. That this comes from the etzem hanefesh, meaning the absolute essence of the soul. The etzem hanefesh the essence of the soul feeling that this person has, we call Levi, has for Ruvain versus Shimon is expressed only through Yediat Hashlila, knowing the negative. The positive is simply like this. I know who you are. The end. Levi can't articulate the difference, but he knows only one thing that they're two separate people, and as far as the intellect and the heart are concerned, he does not understand the difference. They act alike, they are alike, they understand alike, they feel alike, but they're different because I'm attracted to this one and not to this one. Is it saying that it's like impossible for us to... To understand? No, we're just defining it. We're just continue to define it. Okay, but it's... it's he I'm has at this point, Yitia Tashlila. In that example, it's just because uh, Ruben and Shimon are, are very alike. Yeah. Yes, they're very alike, obviously. But he has Yitia Tashlila. He, he, knows that he, he knows that he's attracted a little more to, to this one over this one. He knows something is not. He doesn't know how they're different, but he does know that there is a difference by the mere fact that they're two separate people. So the fact that they're two separate people was going to cause him now to make a distinction between the two people. Let's put it in a, 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 a little differently. When a person ascertains that whatever the particular idea may be and mean, he doesn't know but he does know what it doesn't mean. This we can call the divesting process, also known as Yitiyat Hashliwa. Just defining this idea of the negative understanding. So, so can you please repeat that? Yeah. Because the negative understanding, I feel there's a lot there. Yeah, so when a person can explain or understand that I don't know this. How do I not know this? I don't know this, but I also know what it doesn't mean. I I really don't know the inner ramifications of the table, but I know that the table doesn't mean the chair. So essentially it's a divesting process. What we're doing is we're slowly, slowly stripping away 
other things so that we can get to the essence of what is this. So just a second. There's a little bit of, of confusion. Okay. I want to make sure we're in Sure. So there's two senses that we're giving to negative freedom. One, negative, freedom, negative understanding. One of them is that um, there's something there, but I haven't defined it myself. I've accepted a definition that's been given. That's right. And the other one is that I don't know what it is, but I know what it isn't. That's right. So you're saying, are those two things the same thing? Essentially, words, they're the same thing, but they're, they're, what, we're, what we're doing is we're starting the process of understanding something. How are we understanding it is we're stripping away everything that's not going to apply. Okay. So that, that, in a way, they're, 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 they're compatible, but it's almost like, like a sequence. So it's like, it's like, I've accepted that this is a table. Like, society told me this is a table. Okay, this is a table, right? I don't, do I really know what a table is? No, not really. But I accept that it's not a chair, that it's not a wall, that it's not a, a washing machine. Okay? So is that kind of like... What yeah. So, okay. So we're making a place for it. Exactly. I mean, a, a chair... A, almost, of the mind. a chair can also be a table, right? You yeah. can take one chair, put a chair across from it, and you have a flat surface sure. that's held up by four, for sure. four things. Oh, Just, that, that requires that you... you Started putting in more of a. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping but the I'm, gun. Oh my <laughs> God. That's what a table is. Cool. Well, you know what? This is a table. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. okay. <laughs> my kids use chairs as tables all the time. Plates <laughs> sure. on them. I the roof. No, but, but, it's a table. You know the old story about the, the kid who was raised in the country and never saw the city? And one day he travels to his relative in the city, so he comes across a train track. He doesn't know what it is. So he starts jumping on the train track, and it's nice, it's fun, it's got like lines, and it's, making, it's keeping him busy as he travels. So he's on the train track, and he's jumping from one plank to the next, to the next, to the next. All of a sudden he hears, doo, He doesn't know, never heard, never heard anything, doesn't even know what the use of this is. Wow. And he's jumping on and off and on and off the train track. So all of a sudden he looks back and he sees this huge, ginormous beast coming towards him. He jumps out of the way and as he jumps out of the way, it blows him into the bushes and he looks up and he sees this huge train. He's never seen anything like it. It's unbelievable. What is it? What's the use of it? What's going on with this? He makes his way finally to his relative. He comes there and he sees, you know, Tired from a long walk, would you like a cup of tea? Sure, he sits down. All of a sudden, he hears the kettle. So he takes, so he takes the, the, the stick and he whacks the kettle and he smashes it. I said, What happened? He says, We have to kill them while they're young. So just in connection, it's very easy yeah. to take two things, make that connection and that correlation, yeah. and as a result, what do you have? Yeah. Two completely different things that have no connection. The only thing is that possibly they have the same whistling sound. Yeah. So it's very, it's very important. Negative understanding is very important. Because if you didn't have a negative understanding, then you would say that the, the, the tea kettle and the train are the same because they have the same whistling sound. You think he was on an island? He was in the country. <laughs> <laughs> came from an island. <laughs> 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 from off the so, island. so you understand now? Yeah. No, it's good.
It's, it's just that there's, there's a lot to negative understanding. Yeah. It's not just one thing. It's a whole process, right? And right. I, th- I think ultimately what you're going to say is that it's part of a process of understanding and then you've got to go from negative understanding to positive understanding. It's, it's a, it's right. A, but it's, 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 it's important. You, you build it up. Through, through it's very easy to put it out of context, right? Yeah. Yes. That's what right. is the connection between a tea kettle and a train? They both have a whistle <laughs> sound. Is there any contextual connection to, between them? Yeah, right. Is there anything else? You obviously haven't gone far up the ladder of understanding if that's the connection you make, right? But, like, but you like, could, but, but you know, you're laughing at the, t- the, the tea kettle and the train. But we're doing that for other stuff. But we do that for everything. Absolutely. Every single day we make those kinds of connections. 100%. That's scary. Oh, what you just said, that's really scary. And we do do it. We do. We do. It's a cute example. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the coffee. That's it. But you know why oh, we I do want it, some right too. <laughs> but, but Marines, you know why we do it. We don't do it because we're just stupid. Or no, like, I know. It's our, know it's our survival instinct. That's right. I know. We do it because we have to live in the world. And, and, and we're trained to react. We're trained to react. And... Like, we're trained to, like, we don't have time to really... That kid, I mean, it's like if that, if that kettle started, like, coming after him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's like you have no time to but react. The, but it's, it's, the, it's the survival, but it's the, you know? Yeah, Kabbalah is interested in us being masters over our world. Of course, of course. And masters over our purpose. Yeah. And understanding what our unique purpose is in Thank this world. Thank you for telling me that. Because people have asked me many times... Oh, you know, like, what's the point of Kabbalah anyways? You've got Judaism, you need Kabbalah why? 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 And you're saying, wow, that's so interesting. What a coincidence that happened. The truth is that that thing happens every single day. You just never noticed it because it wasn't on your mind. You're not aware of it. So what we want to become is extremely aware of everything. Everything we do, everything we say, and hopefully one day everything we think. We become extremely aware of everything. Now let's, let's move on. Good? So how is it possible that a person can come to know what he does not seem to be able to know? How can the ordinary mind ever grasp the higher idea that the soul seems to be expressing? And how can anyone understand the person's deep emotional involvement in something that can't be understood? You're, you're asking us to do something that is so unnatural to us. You want, you, you want me to explain why I love my wife? What my attraction is to her? You're asking us something so complicated. That's something that can't necessarily be defined either. Defined? I mean, if I even tried to define it, I'd have to write a whole Song of Songs book like Solomon. <laughs> And even he couldn't, or I have to write a whole... I think it's a bit darker than that, because you're also asking the person to limit the thing and to create three or four, uh, uh, you know, pieces of text. Look, my my love for my my mate is, is probably the closest thing I have to unlimited in this world. 
And exactly what you're saying. I'm trying to define something that not only is not definable, it's going to destroy the beauty of the undefinableness of it. It goes back to a little bit what you're saying. Like certain things, when you define them, they disappear. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll explain it to you in like three sentences, but you're not going to get it. And you're going to find the things that are most interesting in the world are the things that are really, truly undefinable. Like how many books on relationships are there? Yeah, they never quite get. How many theories are there on psychology and behavioral psychology and the understanding of, of particular behaviors and, and resources? Or how many, book, how many uh, theories are there on cognitive development, the brain, mm-hmm. how the brain operates? I mean, that is something that is so, even science it has, is so baffled by the brain. But a lot of this, it's like it's going to lead us to, it's like the problems with language, is that we're trying to do all of this with language. And language is creating concepts, creating limitations by definition. Every single word we use has a definition. What and if so, you were to draw? What, you yeah. like, what do you like about Sarah? Like if you were draw... I'm still limiting it to whatever I can draw. Yeah, First of all, true. I'm limiting it to two things. My ability to, to do art. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> At least with words. You're and let's say I was an amazing artist. Let's say I was a... a no, uh, even if you weren't a Van Gogh, yeah, it's still limiting. It's still limiting. But well, what, what color am I going to choose? Yeah. The uh, fact that I chose this color over this color. Draw something of her because I just draw like I'm just terrible. No, but even so, let's say I was a good artist. The fact that I chose this color, this color is my creativity, not necessarily my love. That's right. That's right. It could be an expression of my love at this moment, possibly. This moment defined by time and space? Yeah. But it's really big because this opens up the whole question of the role of language. I think it opens up the whole question of the role of the things that we create are absolutes and non-absolutes. It's it's trying to... It's opening up how we define things. How we... How we build up various sequences in our minds what is the process of understanding it's opening up everything all the wheels are off now so there are two different approaches that Kabbalah describes to this problem relating different levels to one another these are the concepts of halabasha and havshata. What does that mean? Halabasha. Embodiment and clothement. Embodiment or enclothement and havshata. To remove the garment. So. And lehalbish is to put on the garment. Right? That's right. What we're going to call the abstraction approach and the embodiment approach. Abshata is going to be the abstraction? That's what I'm going to call it. Abstracting and embodying. The different approaches can be defined like this. A, Mr. A, is on top of a mountain. We're going to call him... Ephraim. Michael is at base camp on the bottom of the mountain. 
Ephraim wants to give something to Michael. How is he going to do this? Either Ephraim can go down to Michael, or Michael can go up to Ephraim, or they can meet in the middle. Or they can send a drone. Talk about that. So, this example can be applied to the process of understanding ideas and thoughts. First, let's consider the embodiment approach. Assume that the subject to be understood is very elevated. Let's say it's a very deep Kabbalistic concept. Or it's a very deep mathematical theory. Or something that... It could be something that's an advanced law that we just... that we, I, never, I don't have any tools to really understand. If you've sat in... Imagine you're sitting with a bunch of science professors mm-hmm. listening to their conversation. Or, or a bunch of Talmudic scholars if you are not a student of Talmud. So it's an elevated understanding. Elevated means I don't have the knowledge base or resources to understand this particular understanding. It could be understood in this world. I just have not developed to the point where I can understand it by myself. Okay, right? See how we're using negative understanding to understand the positive? You're going to see that a lot now. So we already defined it. Why am I saying it's elevated? It doesn't mean that it's beyond. It's a difficult understanding. It's difficult for me because I don't have the resources or the knowledge or the experience. Does it mean that... You still see the tea kettle? (laughs) The baby monster. Right? It's not not fair for me to say it's impossible. I say this to my kids all the time. They say, I can't... can't, What do you mean? No, you don't have... The, the, the resources right now or the experience to understand this idea. So let's figure out and create a process for you to understand this very difficult idea. And imagine this. Once you understand it, you will now then have the experience and the resources to understand maybe something even greater. That's the term elevated. Elevated here means at some distance from practical life or observable facts for me at this moment in time and space. That there's some distance from practical life or observable facts. In such an instance, the idea is the higher and the thinker is the lower. The idea is the higher and the thinker is the lower. So you can go up. So the thinker needs to go up the mountain or the idea needs to come down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Or they have to meet in the middle. But you know what? It's hard for the thinker to go up the mountain. It requires a lot of effort. So what people do is... A lot more effort. What Kahneman calls a substitution is that they'll take that concept and they will simply replace it with another concept that they do understand. Yeah, like thinking, try to understood the higher concept, but in reality, they've just you know kept their understanding at the same level. I could explain you why the tea People kettle do that a lot. Why the tea kettle whistles very easily? I can't explain to you why the train whistles very easily. Mm. Mm. But it's just like a big kettle, right? I was just saying, it's the same concept. It's the same concept. Ish, ish, ish. very ish. Very, very ish. There's a lot more 
there's there's yeah. the, there's a lot more a lot things on. that go into the train whistling than the kettle whistling because the kettle is just heating up the water and the train is actually moving. No, it's actually the pressure of the, the steam coming through. But the steam is the same thing with the yeah. But how did the steam? How was the steam created? What was the process? What is the steam connected to in order to make the train move? Well, they're not using coal anymore. That's ex- exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, they, I don't think they have the person. Oh, yeah. That's happening anymore. Okay, and, so what is happening? And you can go over there and you can get yourself a hot water that that yeah. didn't whistle I mean, at all. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, again. But yeah, this is the sound, the fact that it makes a sound. So, there, there are complex ways of understanding even that. So if the idea is up at top of the mountain and the thinker's on the bottom of the mountain, and like you said, what Kahneman says is that it's very easy to replace it or substitute it, right? But But what happens, but, but what if we say to the person, could you imagine going up to the top of the mountain and once you reach the top of the mountain, how you feel? That, 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 that experience, that sense of accomplishment, when the, when the higher, when the idea descends to the plane of the lower, this is what we call embodiment. The idea is explained through illustrations, through analogies, through parallels, through tea kettles, so that it can be grasped by the thinker. So that's the embodiment. It's the idea has to be enclosed in the, the analogy so that the thinker on the bottom of the mountain can understand the, the difficult idea from the top of the mountain. Thank you so much. Thank you. And this is what everybody always does when, they, like when you start using analogies. Exactly. And, and, and Kabbalah is a big fan. And Kabbalah is based on a lot of analogies. You're going to have a tremendous amount of analogies. But we have to understand, before we start going into the analogies of the Kabbalah, is that this is embodiment. This is very difficult ideas coming down to the mountain. That is a process that we could use. It's a process that Kabbalah uses all the time, but we are defining it. It's very important that we define this process. If not, then when we say God has a hand... Yeah. So we are dressing up the elevated in order to begin to understand it. That's right. We have no choice. Why? Because the top of the mountain right now is unattainable for us at this point. So we have to, to bring the idea down the mountain to, base, to the base. In the relationship between the mind and the thinker, the idea which exists in the mind is higher than the thinker. In the relationship between the mind and the thinker, the idea which the idea exists in the mind is higher than the thinker. Which means the idea exists, the mind can grasp it. But it's on a higher level than the thinker is able to, based on experience, based on resources, based on uh, level of knowledge. So when we talk about the descent of the higher to the plane of the lower, we mean that that descent includes the embodiment of the idea in the illustrations and the parallels and the analogies in the tea kettle. Kabbalah has many, many illustrations. We call them mishalim. 
analogies, examples, parables. These are more concrete expressions to help us understand the theoretical idea. But that's all they're about. So they are embodiment. The theoretical idea still exists in its theoretical state. But we're going to use those expressions and those analogies and those ideas in order to understand this very difficult, very complicated idea. All we have to do is tell a little story about a kid in a train in a tea kettle and all of a sudden, sudden you, have, you, you, you get it. So we're a big fan of that. We, we like that. Obviously we have to pick the right analogy and we have to pick the right style. But that level of embodiment is how we are able to understand these very difficult, very lofty ideas. Then there's a second approach. The second approach is that the thinker who is the inferior is now going to elevate himself to the higher, which means the following. And Michael, at the bottom of the mountain, walks up to the higher, to Ephraim. This is called an elevation. This elevation is a very sophisticated process that necessitates the refinement of the mind, making it capable of receiving the delicate ideas. This comes through practice in abstracting the core of an idea from its various expressions. It's making your vessel bigger. Making your vessel bigger. This is called... Can you repeat that last the, This comes as a... Making capable of... No, so, so what we do is through the practice of abstracting the core of the idea from its various expressions. So if you want to understand the core of the idea without the analogies, what do you have to do? You have to make the vessel bigger, so to speak. This is called the process of abstraction, hafshata. So the more we understand Hashem, the more we can get from Him. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's leave it at this for now. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this. Maybe not today, but we'll get back to this. Now. Maybe you can understand a lot from Hashem from understanding what you can't understand. <laughs> maybe, I think maybe we're, we're going to clarify. <laughs> Because this, the process of abstraction, you have to have a very powerful mind and a familiarity with the process of thought. The issue that Kabbalah has with it is that it's a very um, precocious path and there's a tremendous potential for error within it. When a person starts delving into thought deeper and deeper, the person not accustomed to delicate thinking will end up getting confused. The deeper the thought, the, 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 the more confusing it ends up becoming. I mean, imagine this. Imagine Einstein developing the theory of relativity. Now, he, he approached it by elevating his mind, developing his ability to comprehend more and more difficult concepts and formulas until he leaped into a totally new way of thinking. Normally, 
The human mind is limited to what it understands. How to get from A to B. So now, what did Einstein have to do? He had to develop his mind until he refined his mind, in a sense, so that he was able to come up with these very unusual thoughts. And Kabbalah says, this can be true with any individual. It doesn't... It necessitates being familiar with the process of thought. For example, with logic, with correct reasoning, how to explain one thing from another. One, a person has to actually know how thinking proceeds. Otherwise, they can become very confused. So, it's much easier for us to remain on the lower level mm-hmm. and to bring the very complicated ideas down through analogies and through but, but process. The, the, with Habasha, the problem with Habasha is what? Give me an analogy. So the problem is we are outsourcing the problem to somebody else. We're hoping that somebody understands the refined concept, that they can even pick the right analogy, that they can break it down in a way that I'm going to get a piece of it, right? That's right. So we're outsourcing the problem of understanding to somebody else. That's right. And it's great. I mean, hopefully we have this somebody else. But the, what's amazing, what Kabbalah is basically... want to be independent, ultimately. What Kabbalah is basically saying here is Havshata is the way to create an Einstein. Mm-hmm. It's ideal. Can you imagine? Creating Einsteins, new ways of thinking, is ideal from a Kabbalistic perspective. So a new way of thinking, why? Because it just, it just it unlocks a higher level of understanding than even than the concept itself. Look at what he brought into the world as a result could, of his unlocking... new concept. Absolutely. And create new concepts. I mean, look at all the advancements in medicine and science and technology. Yeah. That's all Havshatta to a certain extent. To a certain extent, yeah. We were breaking through previous... Right? If, we, if, if everybody just said, let's try to understand how we've been pushing, let's get the buggy to push faster with the horses, then we would still be uh, using our horses and buggies. We'd be like the Amish. Really, really fast. But it was somebody breaking through and saying, no, there must be a way of faster transportation. What is removing the garment? Why we call it Avshata? Think about why we call it Avshata, because we're removing all of the limitations mm-hmm. that we put on it. This is not a table anymore, it's now a tent, or maybe whatever else we, we imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like that with everything in our lives. So we have to examine like our beliefs. You can, you can start by just examining things around you and, and the way you define them, and maybe it's not like, defined. How do I know this? Yeah, or, 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 or so, even more basic, like, why do I like this person over this person? Why am I more attracted to this person over that person? Just start asking yourself the question, why am I more attracted to this idea more than this idea? Meditate on that for a bit and see how it goes. Yeah, I think we we don't fully understand the level to which we live in a world of 
it, it's really, really spooky. Like, I realized it like in that, this, this, this AI talk idea, like I was talking to a lot of people about it, and what happens is that people have a very limited understanding of what we're talking about, okay? Like, we don't know. Like, we don't know what machine learning is. We don't know what AI, we don't really know. Like, there's very few people in the world that really know what it is. The rest of us, we don't know. We think we know it's robots or incoming, <laughs> they're gonna be vaguely humanoid, right? Well, apparently, Apparently, uh, the the number one fear in America today is a zombie apocalypse. So people must know something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's even worse than that for zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. You have the Department, I believe, of Homeland Security, or no, it's the or the Pentagon, Department of Defense. One of those that has. And by the way, I've had this debate with people many times because they don't believe me. They think it's false. I'm like, okay, Google it. We Google it. We find the CNN stories. It's true. There's like a true administration and government. They have an entire internal protocol in place. They did a study of what we do if there's a zombie apocalypse. Shut up. It's the number one fear in America no, 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 today. They have a governmental protocol. They put people that are on salary for the state, like we pay taxes for this, not us, because I'm the cat that has this, but in the States, there are people that work, they have an entire protocol in place. What do we do? when there's a zombie apocalypse. I'm, I'm not joking. But when it comes to like, a, to like, so this is like maybe a crazier version, but for artificial intelligence, what happens is that none of us know, and so what we do is like, you ask people like, what do you think is gonna happen, whatever. It's immediately sci-fi, because people will just project their fears or excitements, right? They're just projecting their fantasies on, on the screen of this thing. And so all they're really seeing is their own sort of preconceived notions of the future and robotics and isn't that but they're not they think it's a, and then they have an opinion about it it's like <laughs> i don't care what your opinion is like but, but it's based on nothing you know what i mean one of my one of what i think the downfall of society is become hollywood has really created an imagination for us so we don't need an imagination anymore that's right, that's right. So we're probably projecting a bunch of movies that we've seen, like Independence Day or whatever. Anytime you think, what are you thinking? Movies, what, what bothered me more than anything is during 9-11, I'll never forget it, when everybody, the first response was, it looks like a movie. It looks like a movie. No, it doesn't look yeah. like a movie. It's yeah. real life yeah. and people are dying. It's not a movie, for heaven's sakes. Do you feel the same for books? No. Why? Because in a book, you can create your own imagination. Book is much better. Yeah. A book solicits you. Yeah, what the per, the writer? Yeah, but still, there's still a bunch of science fiction books. Like you could, people could have no, their opinion on eight. Yeah, but, just but based on their. There's their, more of a negotiation between your mind and and what the author. Yeah, I'm sure, but it's on like it could be just on. Less the author level. can describe, but you still have to imagine. Mm. It actually, a book is very good for the imagination. The class, our discussion is good for the imagination, but if somebody puts that picture in front of you, automatically your imagination is gone. And kids who are growing up with all this, to the screen time, they're losing that sense of imagination. To the point where you give them something, what do, I don't know what to do with it. What, what does the instruction say? I don't know what the instruction says. I don't know, I don't read instructions. Let me YouTube it. No, well, I don't read instructions. Figure out how to do it. You know, I, I got a little bin of, of Legos for my, for my kids. I said, I don't, I don't want you to go and, and make the instructions the way they said. I want you to make your own thing and then you teach your other kids how to make That's it. That's a very good point with Legos. Legos, I don't think, used to come with a, when like, I was a kid, image it never, of what you're supposed to do. When I was a kid, we like, never go, came. Build something. You, 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 got a, something you cool. went to the store, you got a big pail of all the different colors yeah. and different sizes, yeah. and you created now something. It's like you and not only that, but when I was a kid, there was a magazine that used to come out, a Lego magazine, 
And they, because people did. No, the kids would, would submit pictures of the, of the items they created. Of what they did, yeah. And later, Lego used to use some of those items and make, their, make, make new products. Yeah. But that is such an important, like that process... I mean, I think Lego is amazing for a, for a small kid to be able to. That's imagination. That take the take the what, what what is Lego? Lego is the negative understanding and turning it into a positive understanding, mm-hmm. right? Negative is this is the confines. I'm giving you a box full of all different blocks of shapes and sizes. So there's a confine to what it is. The amount of blocks that I gave you, the shapes and the sizes that I gave you of those blocks. But now your imagination is limitless within the confines of this understanding. We can't say to a person that's limited by time and space. You're unlimited. Just here, I'm gonna give you infinite amount of Lego that have infinite amount of shapes and sizes. Start no. with the limitation. You have to start with the that's negative understanding. All creatives say, by the way, all creatives, I work with some very, very like top creatives, like in the digital space, whatever, and they always say like, the first step is you gotta create a limitation. Like, you need to create a challenge, like a, a limitation. Like you can't just start with an artist pure knows, creativity. An artist knows you have to start with the rules of art. Yeah. And then within that is the creativity. But it doesn't mean that you have to follow the instructions of art. Don't, don't paint by number. <laughs> yeah, painting by number. <laughs> but it, but it's, it, it's sad because what it does is it tells kids like you're good for reproducing something that like society has predetermined that you should reproduce. Right. But you're not good enough for to come up with your own. And, and, and it's very like that's what the school system like you look at what the, the, the way the teachers teach the kids and so and sometimes there's an exception. But in general, it's still that very conformist, very uh, sucking the creativity out. And, and you know, there's there's research about this. If kids become less creative. Oh, yeah. The more that they're exposed to the school system, and they've analyzed some kids that were not in the school system. Of course, these people can correlate with poverty and, and so forth. It's not necessarily a great thing, but they will tend to be more creative than if they've been through the school system. You know, stifles <laughs> the creativity. They'll, they'll beat the the deep out of the deep. It's yeah. fascinating yeah, if, yeah, our exactly. goal, <laughs> if our goal if our goal is problem. to create more robots or more Einsteins. It's a very interesting thought very on an educational level. Yeah. To think, do we want more Einsteins in the world? Okay. You know, it's so funny because like in, in the elementary schools, in the elementary schools, like my, my son, the school is very, very creative, wants to create robots. And so what happens is that, you know, the teacher is like, you know, when the child doesn't behave, let's say, it's the classic thing. Like they never want to talk to us about academics. They want to talk to us only about behavior. And when the child doesn't behave, it's like he is reacting, like you're trying to turn him into a robot. And like part of him is saying like, I don't I want to talk to my friends. Like I want to be human. I want to be, and it, it's, it's very difficult because like I'm trying to like educate my son, Sasha. I'm trying to tell him to like be nice to the teacher and listen in class. And it's a question of respect and it's a question of not. But at the same time, I don't put too much emphasis on it because I think like I don't want to like beat him into submission. And like I think it's a good thing. Like I see these teachers, I see what they're teaching them. And it's like, man. Good thing that you're rebelling against that a little bit, you know? Like, it's part of what you need to stay alive, you know? My, da- my daughter is studying for the government exams now, yeah. and they're putting so much pressure on the kids yeah. in grade six yeah. to get, you know, to do good on these government exams. And, and she, was, she, she, was like, she was almost crying yesterday, and I said, what is the government exam already? It's just a statistic so they can see, like, how people are doing in relation with each other. 
Like, what is it for? It's not for you. It's not going to tell you if you're smart or stupid. It's not going to tell you if you know this stuff or not know this stuff. It's going to tell you what they want to know for whatever reason that they decide this is what you have to do. It's a survey, basically. Mm-hmm. But then it has an impact on your options moving forward and on your path and how people are going to perceive you and how other schools are going to perceive you. And Absolutely. But that's the inside the system. Right. Yeah, you're, you're saying more generally, it doesn't really profoundly define who you are, what you're If you want to stay inside the system, then you're yeah. going to have to follow the system's rules. If you don't want to stay inside the system, you don't have to follow the system's rules. It's that simple. That being said, look, I've got kids. And yes, within the school system, they have a certain structure. But I think if at home they have another type of opening, then they will, after they finish the, the strict academic they'll grow into their other being, their mm-hmm. other person, mm-hmm. because they know that their personality is allowed to. You know, there, yeah. there are certain home environments that are very, yeah. very rigid, and they, you know, academic, 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 and the world doesn't exist outside of the paradigm of what is uh, with academia. But um, if you do have another environment, they'll, they'll grow Absolutely. into Absolutely, but, but then the question is also, like, how much space and room does the school take? Because like if you're at school until 5 p.m. and then there's three hours of homework, right? Then you don't have much time for that home environment. Then it becomes a problem. And it's like, it's funny, Sasha has an oral that he has to do and he says, I wanna do homework on, I wanna ban homework. That's, that's my presentation. Like we should ban homework, okay? And I'm like, it's like, yeah, because we already work hard enough and like we come home at 4.30 and we wanna chill, we wanna be with our family. And it's interesting because I, like, I, I know from the documentary I saw that uh, Finland, uh, was one of the bottom schools in education for in the OECD countries, so like all like Western countries and European countries and so forth, and climbed all the way up to number one when it did what? They did a whole reform you where they homework. banned homework, reduced the hours of school, yeah. and increased the summer from two months to three months. Okay? They lessened the place of the school, kids became smarter. Kids performed better at school. They performed better at mathematics, at like objective stuff that are, is like calculated by the rules of the system. They did better at that stuff. Because the whole theory is that kids have a lot of energy and they need to express that energy and they need to be with their families and they need to be spontaneously at play. And that's better for the development of their brain. And they're gonna end up doing better even at those objective tasks. Actually, if the they're EMSB, in that environment, in it's the interesting. EMS, in the EMSB, they have removed homework as a criteria. And in England, it's the opposite. They have a ton of work, a ton of homework, and they're like number 20 in the, from the, in the OECD countries. Wow. Yeah, so we're, that's what he's going to do yeah. oral. So, cool. um, it's great. I it's a yeah. great one. Uh, the EMSB has uh, removed homework. Really? What's the EMSB? The English it's Montreal School Board. Board. Really? So in the English, okay. there's no homework. No. Wow. It's over. It's very French. They're given homework. They do it in school. If for some reason, the time allotted, and because the other thing that they found was that if kids struggle with a homework, if they are not with someone who can actually assist them in understanding whatever that homework is, they're gonna, it's just going to sort of die there most of the time anyways. They're not really going to fight it. So, but it's, it's a very interesting discussion for the negative and positive, because what happens is that you realize that, people, so in the French mentality, mm-hmm. there's a bias for action. And it's like, if there's no homework, it's like, what the hell am I paying for the school for? You guys have no homework, you're not working. There's the idea that like, if we're doing more, mm-hmm. it's necessarily better. It's that mechanical almost like, like approach, right? Mm-hmm. And, but this is like, no, like when you're doing something, you're also limiting and you're also 
removing a lot of that other stuff. Aha! Maybe I think by it, contracting it, you're allowing more stuff to emerge, actually. Maybe. By doing less, by defining I, I less. I think there's also another uh, point with the um, studying at night, is that um, maybe it also leaves the kids more free to actually study the areas or to, to pay more attention to some areas that they might not be strong at. Mm-hmm. I know one of my sons is got two courses that just terrify him, and so he's built. I've helped him, but he's built a little system whereby he sort of munches on mm-hmm. little bits mm-hmm. of that those courses each night, mm-hmm. so that he can, you know, keep up or sort of give himself an extra dose. But if you've got three hours, of three homework, hours of math, you got three hours of homework. You're yeah. gonna come home. By the time you're through with the three hours of you're homework, done. You're like you're wasted. You go to bed. You're the education system, life. Yeah. Like the education system is, is based on this Greek idea of edukara, the conveying of a message, and not. The Jewish idea, which is chinuch, which is dedication, dedication to ideals, dedication to a cause, dedication to values, dedication to... There's a nice, cheesy-sounding quote that I heard about education that's great. That education is not the uh, filling of a cup, it's the lighting of a flame. So it's not just yes. filling something. I agree. It's about stimulating the passion, the desire for knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if you have that, you're good. Like, long-term, you're good, you know? doesn't really matter like the details that are in the cup today versus tomorrow versus like in three months. It doesn't really matter all that much, you know? And at the same time, I think these kids have way more potential than what they're doing. It's so mechanical and rut and repetitive what they make them do. I think they have the potential to already start developing some higher concepts and some more right. complex stuff. But the school doesn't, uh, it keeps them in a state, it's a weird, it's a weird state of, of like limited development but production. It's a, it's a production model, right? Not, mm-hmm. It's not an intellectual model. It's like yeah. produce a lot of this basic stuff that's hard, that's tedious, that's right. but don't, the limitation part, you're defining something, you're that, but really it's telling them, don't ask yourself those higher questions. Don't, you know, we had a math professor back in the day who was from a really, really old school mathematical background. He's an older Moroccan man at the time when we were in elementary school. This guy, was a piece of work. Like he would, he would be fired today. First of all, he was smoking in class the whole time. He was like, he was, he would have these outbursts. He was like a, a, an intense man, but he was very, very brilliant. And his whole approach was, he's gonna teach us the basics in math, like in grade six. I remember this day. He's gonna teach us some basics, but then, like for half of the school year, he's gonna give us problems that he's not taught us how to solve, and we have to solve them. And he'll grade us based on our attempt to solve them. If you solve them in an intelligent way, you made a mistake. You get an 80, okay? If you try to solve the problem in a dumb way, you get a 30. Like, imagine the level you have to be to be able to implement that. And we all bought in, by the way. The class was excited to learn math. Everybody, okay? Like, there would be like this competitive, this very healthy competitive, we'd form teams. He'd form teams of like, okay, you four, you four, you four. Okay, walk us through the steps. Let's understand. Uh, oh, wait a minute. You tried, why did you do that? Why? We know that's stupid. We learned that's not good. Da, 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 da. The thought process, right? But the teachers in elementary school, I don't think, have the ability. And I don't think they have probably the, don't have that kind of knowledge. They don't have that kind of no. knowledge. The people that teach our kids are not the top of the top, you know? Let's be honest. Sadly. Some are. Sadly! Some. There should be. We should put the top of the top there. Mm. Oh, they're not paid. What's that? Not paid enough that they, also, they, they, all the smart people become lawyers, doctors, exactly. True. True. They're underpaid. They're overstressed. 
also like you know the, the, the behavior and that that increases the behavioral problems because the kid you're just trying to push them push them to the basic yeah. stuff yeah they're going to act out they're not engaged they're not interested it's bad for behavior too but yeah it's a big it's a problem ideally we'd have more of the top people teaching you, there if you are some investment of, they're also not valued teachers are not valued true i, I think that's changing Truth be told, well, well, I've been involved with a lot of parents. Huh? Value comes along with being paid more. Yes. If, yes, she, yes. The, if the government valued the teacher, yeah. if the parents valued it, yeah. they are just looked at. They're looked at as glorified babysitters. That's very true, and that's what that, that's how they behave after. But then you ex- but then you also expect them to to raise your kids and yeah. not only educate them but mm. make them into what you know. I, yes. I don't know, I've, so much I've been involved with a lot of parent-teacher committees and been on the boards and the trustees and stuff like that. I'd say that there's prob- there could be like this a, a, a group outside of this core that believes that the, all the negative crap about teachers and blames the teachers for a lot of stuff. But I'd say that there's a tighter group closer to the school that supports them very well. But you know what I think a problem is, is a similar problem as in medicine, I find, in, in, in education, is that I think... This is just my theory. My theory is that the, uh, the unions of the admin staff are really, really powerful, probably, because for every teacher, there's like four administrators. Like it's crazy the number of people that are not teachers that are in the school, like getting paid. It's out of control. It's the same thing, by the way, in medicine. Like the doctors are, in, like, are underpaid compared to if you compare them to US doctors, so we lose all the best doctors. Like that's yeah. a clock. But for every doctor, there's like six administrators. Like, just like, I don't know, doing stuff, just doing stuff. Like they're not the, the, the actual substance of the activity, you know? And th- that sucks resources away from the essence, you know? And in law firms, there's no administrators? In law firms, there's a big pressure on administrators because what happens is that like clients are becoming more and more sophisticated and they want, they want better and better deals. And in order to give them those deals, you have to cut where you can. Like in my tiny little law firm, and by the way, like the AI things, like legal, Secretaries are like the most likely to be automated. It, it, they're going to feel the crunch a, a lot more. But uh, there's a lot of pressure on them. The law firms are thinning down, but because mar- law firms are subject to market pressures, schools and and and, and uh, hospitals in Quebec are not. They're they're essentially governmental entities. So we're subject to market pressures. We're having to like strip down that administration to where it's efficient, right? Uh, schools and and especially Jewish schools because Jewish schools it's a captive audience. So you don't have to, right? If I'm, if I'm a kosher restaurant in Montreal, there's only like four. I don't have to make a big effort. I don't have to make it good. It's, oh I just have to make it kosher. And same no, with the schools. No. I think, sure. I think, I think it's think so. stepping up. Let's, let's, let's just um, do a summary of today. So otherwise we're going to get on all these tangents. Let's do one. Uh, let's just do... I restaurants that aren't good. Okay. Let's do a summary of what we studied today. Yeah. What, what did we study? Every entity is defined. Just two way of defining things. What positive and negative? Mm-hmm. Easier to define something in negative than in positive. Mm-hmm. You must define everything in this world. And enclosement and um, what's the other one? So those two aspects are, are on limitations. What what is it and what is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, so, the idea of positive understanding and 
versus negative understanding. How do we take negative understanding and create a positive understanding? Mm -hmm. What is negative understanding? Something is a definition, but I haven't really defined it myself. I've accepted the definition. I know what it isn't. Uh, we're making a place for it. We don't fully know what it is, but we're getting the sense for what it isn't. We're starting with that limitation. There's two ways of understanding an idea. Two ways. Like first one is like to go up to it to to uh, make your mind bigger yes. to be ready to accept that subject, and the other is to include it in our practical reality. Mm -hmm. To bring the difficult idea down the mountain. No analogy. Yeah. So those are, those are the two modes of positive understanding. Just the mountain alone is an example of. Yeah. Bringing the idea down the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> climbing the mountain. Yeah, or climbing, yeah. So those are the two modes in Kabbalah of positive understanding. Of, yeah. of filling it with an actual... One of them is with Habasha, with the clothing it. With, it's a, it becomes an analogy. We bring it down the mountain. We're just clothing it in stuff that we can understand. And the other one is abstraction. Removing the garment abstraction approach, which we have to get familiar with the process of understanding. We've got to be able to... Um, um, understand the intricacies of it, uh, you have to develop the mind and refine it so we can come up with the, we can fully get the higher concept, right? Those higher concepts, so we can understand them. Um, and if we can even understand them and understand the process of thinking, we can even break through them and create new concepts, even removing the limitations that we put even on the higher concept, right? How do we build the Einstein? But is the positive and negative, like, first thing that we talked about, what is and what isn't, like, does that have to, that's what, going up the mountain or coming down? Yeah. The way I have it here is that we have uh, negative understanding, like, these two modes are the two modes of positive understanding. Right. Right? Bringing it down the mountain or going up the mountain. That's right. That's so positive? The, that's both of those are positive understanding. A positive understanding. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're, Thank like, you. filling it. We're filling it with actual knowledge, right? Good. Well, what do you think the next step is? What's the third step? Creation. Close. What's going to be the third step? Once you have positive and negative understanding, what do you have to understand? The concept, the idea, the Intellect concept. and emotions. Mm. And how they play into positive and negative understanding. Mm. That's what we're going to talk about next week. <laughs>